0: Welcome to Animals Today, your home for a serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirschner. You probably have more time on your hands than usual during this pandemic. So have you thought about adopting or fostering a homeless pet at this time? And is that a good idea? Or perhaps you're stuck at home with your animals? Are you doing all you can to keep them mentally stimulated and physically active? I'm happy to introduce journalist Larissa Wall. She's the resident pet rescue expert on Hallmark Channel's Home and Family. Welcome to the program, Larissa.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and share some really important information
0: during this time. Larissa, during this pandemic, as a dedicated pet rescue advocate, what are your thoughts about adopting and or fostering during this time?
1: Well, I always think adopting and fostering is the best way to go. In my opinion, it's the only way to go, especially right now. I mean, we are sitting here in quarantine and my personal opinion is that there is no better quarantine buddy than a four-legged friend. I have three of my own and then I'm also fostering right now and they bring me so much laughter every day. They're silly, they need to go on walks so they get me outside and they Just make me feel like I'm not alone there's an energy in the house that there wouldn't be without them Um, that said of course you know you and I were kind of discussing that it is a lifetime commitment when you adopt so I do think that's something important to remember that it shouldn't be done impulsively because we're sitting at home right now. It needs to be a thought-out decision.
0: Right. And as more people start going back to work, are you concerned that problems might arise with newly acquired animals at home? I'm actually very concerned. You know,
1: there's a lot of amazing news out there about shelters being cleared right now and kennels empty, and it's amazing. I mean, it makes me so happy. However... There's a part of me, because I've been doing this for so long, and I know the pattern (laughs) that we've seen in the past, I am concerned. Because what happens is people are sitting at home right now. It's very convenient and very conducive to having a new animal. But at some point, hopefully soon, we are going to be going back to some type of normalcy. It might not be the exact same, but slowly we're going to be reintroduced to going to work, to leaving the house, to having social commitments. And having that amazing animal that we've rescued or we're currently fostering isn't going to be quite as convenient. And a lot of people will change the way of life to fit that need. A lot of people, unfortunately, won't. And they'll go, "Uh uh-oh. What did I get myself into? They'll be overwhelmed. They'll realize it's not as easy as they thought during, you know, our downtime of quarantine. And they'll decide to return the animal to the rescue or the shelter. Mm. What happens then is that these rescues and shelters get once again overwhelmed by all these animals suddenly coming back into their care they don't have the necessary resources they might not have the necessary space and it becomes a a catch-22 and of course these animals that have then been living in in homes for the past four six eight weeks are suddenly going what happened what did I do it's stressful for them it can mean it is harder for them to be readopted, and it just keeps that cycle going. So I am very concerned about us a, seeing a, a wave or a backlash of all this goodness that's happening. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope I'm wrong, but I am definitely nervous about that.
2: Yeah. And then
1: on top of that, you know, as more and more people are laid off or not making as much money, they're not going to be able to take care of their existing animals. So they're going to be bringing those animals into show shelters and rescues. So it's just going to kind of pile up on top of each other this need again for for homes. It's just kind of an ongoing problem. So
0: Larissa, what's your advice for people who want to adopt or possibly foster an animal during this time? Well, I
1: think fostering is amazing. You know, if people don't know, it's taking an animal in temporarily to kind of give it the guidance that it needs to become the best forever animal for somebody. Um, And I always recommend fostering. It's great for you. It's a great learning experience. And it ends up, giving that animal so much in terms of learning what it's like to be in a home environment that they may not get. So it's really a win-win. That said, during this time period I would be very upfront with any shelters or rescues that you uh, reach out to, to foster. Let them know what your time commitment is. If you can't foster for more than a couple months or a couple weeks let them know that way they can then decide if it's helpful or not because some rescues only want long-term commitments right now because it ends up being more stressful for the animal to go to a home for two weeks then go to another home for three weeks and then go to another home so just let them know be considerate in that uh, respect and then with adopting again if you have decided that now is the right time to adopt Yay, I will be your biggest cheerleader. But just make sure that you're making that decision based on you know careful consideration that we are going to go back to work at some point. We are going to have dinners or meetings or phone calls to attend to. So, you know, just just kind of keep the long-term commitment in mind. And, again, if you've decided it's the right time, excellent. If not and you think, well, it's so tempting right now, but it's right, it's true, in six months I might not be in the same place, then foster for now. Or help help, you know, by volunteering or donating or something like that, and maybe wait and give it some time for life to go back to normal before you jump in and see if it's really the right time for you.
0: Larissa, many pets have become accustomed to having their guardians around all day long, but that might end very soon. What can be done now to avoid or minimize any issues such as separation anxiety? This is
1: so over-important and something I'm really, really, really interested in talking about because you are 100% correct. Every animal that has been home with their humans during this time period, whether it was an existing animal or a new animal or a foster, has gotten used to daily life having their humans with them, which is excellent. The problem is when we go back to work, just like a little kid uh, whose mom suddenly goes back to work and they're left with a nanny, they might freak out. They might act out. They might become disruptive or, um, you know, start being destructive. And that's all to be expected. It's completely normal. This is suddenly a big change for them. So I urge everybody to start now getting their animal used to what it's going to look like when life goes back to some type of normalcy. And how I've been... Um doing that with my dog, and it's baby steps, but one thing that I really think people should do is start getting back on some type of schedule. You know, a lot of us have started hitting that zoom button or maybe sleeping in till nine instead of eight. Get back to what life is going to be like. That way your animal knows okay, time to get up. You know, you take them for a walk, you give them their food, whatever it is that you're really going to be doing, and then I even recommend going as far as putting on your clothes, grabbing your purse or your keys or your wallet or whatever you do, and walking out that front door, that garage door. Get your animal used to the sights, sounds, and smells they are going to face when you return to work. Now, yes, we can't really go anywhere once we walk out that door because a lot of places are closed, but just take five minutes and sit in your car or water your plants or check the mail. That way your dog realizes it's okay when you're gone. You're coming back you're getting them desensitized to the process. The other thing that are helpful is when you do your morning exercise routine, really take them for a sweat session. Walking is great if that's what works for you. But if you've got a young dog or an active dog – Get their energy out before you leave for work, because a tired dog is a happy dog, is a less destructive dog. So really run them, jog them, go for a little hike. I know everybody's time is, you know, short in the morning, but whatever you can do to really get them exercise. And then also when you do leave the house or come back, even if it's just for these short little, you know, 5, 10-minute breaks, Don't make it a big deal. You're going to walk out and you're going to come back like you just got the mail. Don't do a whole, oh my goodness, mommy's home. I love you. Are you okay? Did you miss me? Because when you go overboard like that, it triggers their anxiety. And if you're leaving and you're like, oh my gosh, baby, I'm going to miss you. You'll be okay. I promise. Don't worry. And you shower them with all this love and your voice goes up 10 octaves. They know, "Uh uh-oh, something's happening. What is happening? So, you know what? Just leave. Bye. See you later. Close the door. You know, it you're cool as a cucumber and you're going to be right back. Do this a few times a day where you're just leaving for a few minutes and you want to kind of work up to being gone for longer stretches of time. And then the other thing that I think is very helpful is even when you are in the house, let's say you're just sitting watching TV, instead of having them be able to jump up on the couch and sit in your lap or cuddle next to you, Start giving them a specific area that they're supposed to be in, whether it's on a towel, on the couch, in the corner, or on the floor, in a dog bed, or in their little crate. Even when you're home, start getting them used to the fact that they can't be at your feet all the time, that everything is okay, life will keep going, but they have to be at at a distance. And, again, start doing kind of small time periods of this. Get them to just understand for 30 seconds that that's their their position. Get them to understand for three minutes, five minutes, work up to it. That way they realize it's okay not to be Velcroed to you, that life is going to be okay. You know, these are all little baby things that you can do to, A, make them realize they are Balanced and in a safe place on their own, but also be that they will survive when you leave to go out for a little bit. Get them used to those short short times so that when you do go out if, uh, out, you know, for work or for dinner, whatever plan you have, that they are safe and okay. And those are just a few little things you can do. And I really hope that helps. There are many more, but those I think are good beginner
0: steps. Those are great ideas to keep in mind. You know, we guardians might be so accustomed and so used to making a big production when we leave our homes. We kiss them, we look sad, we tell them we're going to miss them, we try to reassure them we'll be back and not to worry. And then when we return home, we're all excited. Our voices go up. They jump on us. Everyone goes crazy together. So great idea to tone the entire process down.
1: And if I may say, I think when people rescue animals, it's even more so because you want to make up for lost time. You want to give this dog everything and anything it's never had. And so you let the dog kind of rule the house for those first couple of weeks or a month. And then it's even harder to go backwards and say, wait a minute. No, you're not allowed to jump on the couch. No, you can't get the food on the table. Because then the dog's like, wait a minute. I, what? So starting from the beginning or starting as early as possible is definitely key.
0: Okay, we've got to take a quick break. But when we return... Are your dogs and cats bored during this lockdown? Well, Larissa is going to give us some great tips on how to keep them mentally and physically stimulated. You're listening to Animals Today. to Animals Today, we're speaking with journalist and pet rescue expert, Larissa Wall. Larissa, do you have any tips or fun things that people can do with their dogs and cats to alleviate boredom and keep them mentally and physically stimulated during this time?
1: Yes, and it is so important because as I say all the time an animal that's not mentally stimulated and physically stimulated will start to act up and they can start chewing the sofa or the shoes or the shirt you love. So it's definitely important. And during this quarantine time, it's, you know, a little strange right now. So I do recommend there are some great uh, interactive puzzle toys for both cats and dogs that you still can purchase um, either online or at, you know, your local pet store. A lot of them are still open. They might have curbside pickup, and they're not that expensive. So things like Kongs, which are excellent that you can stuff with peanut butter or cheese or treats or freeze with a little broth inside, whatever it may be, that keeps them busy for a while because they're going to work at it to get that treat out. There are also more – more kind of sophisticated ones where dogs and cats really have to, you know, pick certain buttons or lift certain little flaps. The one thing I will say is never leave an animal unattended with any of these. Kongs are usually pretty indestructible, but any other toy with little bits and pieces, um, I would not leave unsupervised because you never want them to you know, chew on something or anything like that.
0: Great advice. Um, the
1: other thing is you can make a lot of these. Again, supervised, please. But you can make using toilet paper rolls or little solo cups. The little ones are Keurig cups that you've used in your Keurig machine. Um, You can recycle those by putting little treats in them and having your dog find which one contains the treat. Something as as easy as a muffin tin and tennis balls, you can put little treats under certain tennis balls and have them with their nose try to find and lift lift the tennis balls to find the little treats. So, you know, there are a lot of things you can do. The other thing that I think people completely underestimate is how important training is. And I'm talking about everything from sit, stay, calm, down, to dance, juice leap, you know, it doesn't really matter what the command is or if you even care if your dog is going to, you know, dance on its hind legs or whatnot. It's the act of doing it that uses their brain, that uses their body. It tires them out. It also tires you out, mind you, and it helps with the bonding between you guys. So, yes, the, the outcome is that maybe they will learn this command, which is great. Maybe they won't. But the act of doing it and the repetitive motion of it will tire them out and keep them busy and happy. So that's also something that I think people don't realize. They look at it kind of as a chore, but it it should be looked at as kind of a fun challenge as well, especially during this time while we're home and we have the ability to work with them. How about with cats? There are also a lot of great products for cats. Um, There's one that I love, and I wish I could think of the exact name, but it's it's a little feeding system that comes with a bunch of little toy mice. And you actually stuff their food in the little mice, and you place them around your house. And so it reaches into that prey drive that we know cats love. And that is a great way to have them kind of search, go on a basically a treasure hunt to find their food. Now, you don't have to purchase something for that idea. You can use, you can do something like that with things you have around the house. Again, little cardboard rolls from our toilet paper, um, little, you know, crumpled up balls with food inside them. Laser pointers are amazing for cats. They absolutely love them. Yeah. There's also, and I know it sounds silly, but clicker training for cats. And if you have a dog or if you know anything about clicker training, it's using a little clicker. They're very inexpensive to reward a good behavior. So as soon as the cat touches its nose to the desired you know, thing, they, you click and you give them the treat. You can actually teach cats to high five. There are some great free YouTube videos online that show you how to do this. And this is something that a lot of shelters have started doing, this enrichment program for cats. Whereas a lot of people thought that could never really happen, you can't train a cat. You absolutely can. And, again, going along the lines of training a dog, it helps them mentally mentally and physically. It can make them much more adoptable in a shelter environment, which is why so many shelters have started doing this program. So it's something you can do at home with your cats, and it definitely keeps them stimulated. The other thing is sometimes if your cat is open to other cats, getting a second cat or even fostering can be a really game changer for your cat it's a friend for them it keeps them you know busy and playful and sometimes can make the difference between a cat doing some destructive behavior or not using the litter box correctly it can be a fix for that if your cat is wanting to be more social
0: yeah I want to re-emphasize a point you made, and that's the importance of supervision as your dogs have fun with toys, especially if it's a newly acquired dog and you're not sure how they're going to behave or act with a toy.
1: Exactly. Very important. And if I may add, if you are using any peanut butter products in your car or treat, always make sure that they do not contain xylitol because xylitol is very dangerous to animals. So peanut butter is okay in small amounts for dogs, but It cannot contain Zaglitol.
0: Yeah, good point. With our dogs, we use the Kong toys, as you mentioned, and we stuff low sodium, just pure peanut butter, but low sodium peanut butter inside them and freeze them. And they work at those for several (laughs) minutes.
1: Yes, absolutely. They love it.
0: Okay, Larissa, in the last minute, I heard from your publicist that you have a great recipe for making dog treats with home ingredients. Please tell us. And I'm going to have Peter make some for our dogs.
1: Great. Oh, it's so good, and they love them. And it's something fun you can do together or with your kids. All it is is it's oats, coconut oil, uh, an egg, and peanut butter, no xylitol. You mix it together. You mold them into little balls. Put them in the oven for about 12 minutes. Bring them out when they're, you know, golden brown. And then to top them off, you put a little... sugar-free plain greek yogurt and then you can also crumple up some of their favorite hard treats so kind of like sprinkles put that in the freezer for about 10 minutes to let the greek yogurt harden and let them eat away obviously it's a treat so you don't give them too much but it is a yummy little uh, delicacy that they will enjoy i promise
0: larissa wool thank you so much for all your tips and great advice
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And of course, if anybody ever needs help, they can find me at SavedByTheL.com and on social media sites as well.
0: Thank you, Larissa. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Animals Today Radio, your home for serious talk about animals. Now in its 12th year, Animals Today covers all animal-related topics and issues worldwide with an emphasis on animal welfare. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization, Advancing the Interests of Animals. Its mission is to improve the lives of animals and to encourage increased compassion and respect for all living beings. Check them out at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Your donation to Advancing the interests of Animals will support the ongoing production of Animals Today. Just visit AIanimals.org and click Support Us. And thanks for listening. For
2: the past three decades, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. ISAR is committed to informing the public about the overpopulation program and the spay-neuter solution through outdoor advertising. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.com.
0: If you're a pet lover, like we are here, You probably have wondered what's happening with the homeless animals in our shelters and rescue groups during this pandemic. Are shelters less crowded because people are wanting to adopt due to being locked up at home? Or are shelters becoming more crowded than usual because people are relinquishing their animal due to their own illnesses or financial hardship? And I've seen a few articles and posts addressing these topics, focusing on shelters and rescue groups around the country, but I can't discern what the major trends are. Fortunately, our first guest today, I'm sure will be able to tell us what's happening during this pandemic regarding shelter operations, pet adoptions and fostering and topics like these. I'm pleased to welcome Kim Album. She's Outreach and Policy Engagement Director for the Humane Society of the United States. Welcome to the program, Kim. Thank you, Dr. Lori, for having me. Kim, why don't we start with what's happening in shelters and rescue organizations? What are we seeing there in terms of dog and cat populations and what factors are at play? Well, we're in the middle of the COVID-19 response. We've, a global
3: pandemic is completely unprecedented. In the beginning of this, we had no idea what to expect Um, And I think that it has been really fascinating to watch the chain of events unfold for animal welfare agencies. One of the things that we saw was shelters, like with any disaster, had anticipated that they were going to need to intake animals that are impacted in the community, whether it was be that they were losing their jobs or they had become sick. Just like when we have hurricanes, oftentimes animal shelters will empty out knowing that they may have to take community animals. They took these same steps for this pandemic, thinking that across the country now, we're not talking about a localized disaster anymore. They were feeling like across the country, we were going to see owner surrenders of pets. And so in a first push, they went to the community and asked the community to support them and foster an adoption, and it worked. The community stepped up across the country to take in pets. We are seeing record numbers of animals in foster and adoptions, and the adoptions are still going strong.
0: Mm. Wow. So initially, there was a surge in adoptions and dogs and cats going to fosters just to empty out the shelter to allow incoming animals in anticipation that people would be relinquishing their dogs and cats to shelters. But that really didn't happen, right? No, it didn't. So this is where I think we're going to see changes in animal
3: welfare that are going, that, that are just going to go forward and become regular protocols and practices. What happened when they, when they put the call out for foster pets is that shelters also took a different approach, understanding that many of the people that would have to surrender pets would be doing it because of a lost job, lost wages, or because they were ill. Shelters actually reached out into the community to try to prevent that by providing food and veterinary care for people that couldn't afford it. Millions of dollars from national organizations have gone to support local shelters, and local shelters have also did fundraising and in-kind donations to put an enormous amount of in-kind donations and services out into the community. So what we're seeing is not many animals being surrendered due to COVID-19. In New York City, where they've had thousands and thousands of people that have been sick with this virus, there has really been very few animals surrendered to the shelter. And even in Seattle, I think they only saw a total of eight or nine animals surrendered directly because of COVID-19.
0: We here at Animals Today and the pet community really love and value foster parents, which relieve pressure on shelters and help to increase adoptions. Talk a little bit about how fostering is changing during this pandemic.
3: You know, I think that we have always relied on fosters, right? Many, many of our rescue groups rely solely on fosters and, and for the majority of shelters, they have some type of a foster network. But I think that the thought process was always, you know, if it just got too big, it might be complex to manage. Or maybe we didn't always trust our foster homes to do that final placement for adoption. But what this pandemic has forced us to do is to actually push the majority of the animals out into foster and manage that. And and it's actually possible. But second to that, I think that a lot of organizations have learned to trust their fosters, doing direct placement. So, so foster homes are doing the adoptions, literally doing the paperwork and, and helping to make the choices for where animals are going to go. And it's really alle- alleviated such an enormous burden from the shelters during this time. And a lot of shelters are now talking about how they're going to continue to do, do a program that's foster straight to adopt rather than having foster pets come back into the shelter. When you think about it, who knows the pet better than the foster family? And shelters have their protocols. They have their checklists. They have their forms that have to be done. There really isn't a reason that a trained foster could not go through this process. And, And it's happening, and it's successful. We are hearing about adoption programs going strong through virtual adoption straight out of foster a lot of these are being done with facetime visits zoom visits and in a very detailed foster to adopter conversation because these fosters have been living with the pet. And so again, you know, who's going to know that pet better than the foster home where that pet has lived? We're seeing
0: them our foster homes are going back for repeat fosters when their fosters are getting adopted. That's great news. Are you seeing fosters meeting potential adopters at neutral locations like at parks and and maintaining the social distancing as best as they can? Yeah, I think that the, I think that shelter leadership is really trying to come up with steps to protect their
3: volunteers and their adopters, you know, social distancing adoptions is actually not that complex. We have shelters like, like the Loudoun County Animal Services in Virginia set up lines, taped lines to the floor throughout their shelter to help guide people through the adoption process being, you know, socially distant. I mean, it really worked out well for them and their adoptions continued.
0: Kim, what's the approach we are taking for the regions that have really been hit hard by this pandemic?
3: It's been really exciting to see these plans and protocols fall into place across the country. In New York City, they are literally setting up a, a hotline that people can call in if they become sick and hospitalized so that they can work out care for their pets. In in Seattle, you know, we saw a partnership between The Seattle Animal Care and Control and Seattle Humane as they work through the community, providing food, providing, you know, figuring out how to keep pets safe and in their homes. And Detroit has been just an absolute um, hotspot in a very scary place for the people with COVID-19 and, you know, Michigan Humane has just risen up as an unbelievable leader in the community. They're working with human groups to ensure that when human food is delivered, that pet food is delivered, and they've set up an emergency clinic to make sure that pets are taken care of during this time when the majority of their population is out of work.
0: Kim, are there developments that are happening now that if they continue would be a positive for homeless animals?
3: Absolutely. When I talk to shelter leaders across the country, what they're saying to me is we are learning lessons that we are going to take forward with us. There are going to be things that we are doing during this pandemic that we are going to continue doing when we no longer have to do them. And and many of those things are just so exciting and very much a kind, compassionate, and flexible approach to community animals. Animal control officers going out into the field, um, compassionately working with families with you know that find hurt wildlife or hurt domestic animals on their property. Um, you know, taking animals in for people that are victims of of illness that have to be hospitalized for other reasons other than COVID nineteen we can do these things for the community if we can keep the pets out of the shelter to make room and that's what this that's what this vast fostering
0: has done and it sounds like the community is really stepping up here to to fill in the need and to help each other
3: yeah it's very interesting because because what we have seen is a greater trust of shelters for community members all types of community members I think many communities held back. You know, the, 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 the call out for fostering might have been a, a weak call out, right? Some of our best volunteers, you know, this a, a tight circle of people. But when, when the call went out, when this, when this large, broad call went out and people came forward, then the question just became how do we support these people with these animals and how do we support these people with their own pets, quite frankly, It's just through community support, through providing food, providing that emergency vet care. We're seeing tele-veterinary medicine popping up in some places. It's really exciting. One of the things I think in animal welfare that has been very eye-opening is shelters coming to realize the vast majority of people who are literally one bag of dog food away, one paycheck away from having to surrender their pet if they lose their job, a week out of work and they can no longer feed that pet. And I think that I think that many shelters viewed their underserved communities in a very specific way in a very specific area, but what this pandemic has taught us is that there are so many people that are literally living paycheck to paycheck and and a catastrophe like this is devastating. But if we have these relationships, if we do this outreach, if we know where health is going to be needed, when, when when something like this happens, any kind of disaster happens, we're ready. We stand ready to help these animals. We're going to keep them out of the shelter, and we're going to keep them in their homes.
0: That's great. Kim Album with Humane Society of the United States. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, and stay safe.
4: Most people know that chocolate is dangerous for dogs and cats to eat. But did you know that coffee and tea are dangerous for pets too? There are many foods you should not let your pets eat. Onion, garlic, yeast dough, and even avocado. Grapes and raisins are especially toxic to dogs too. Even certain plants and flowers can be toxic or deadly to pets. Cats should not be allowed to eat lilies, daffodils, tulips, or sago palm. And make sure your dogs don't eat azalea, lilies, or sago either. Another danger area, especially with dogs, is eating medicine meant for people. So make sure pills are out of your pet's reach and in safe containers. And of course, leftover bones can crack and cause choking. So don't give bones to dogs. Remember these pet safety tips to keep your pets healthy and happy all year round. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org.
0: I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, and your Animals Today Minute for today is about leeches. Over the millennia, leeches have been used to treat various human maladies. Yes, leeches. These lowly, worm-like bloodsuckers were depicted being used as far back as in Egyptian hieroglyphics. Hippocrates used leeches, but bloodletting by means of leech was really popularized by Galen and was widely used in ancient Rome. This was a time when illness was thought to be from an imbalance of the four humors – blood, phlegm, black bile, and yellow bile – and typically too much blood was implicated leeches were perfect for bloodletting and rebalancing those humors. Even through the 1800s, leeches were used for bloodletting in Western medicine. But in modern times, leeches do have a genuine medical use, and in 2004, the use of medicinal leeches, they're actually called Herudo Medicinalis, as a medical device, was given approval by the FDA. It turns out that they can be quite helpful in aiding the successful surgical reattachment of severed fingers. After the finger is reattached and arterial blood flow is established, the finger gets congested with blood because the veins are not re The pressure in the tissue can get so high as to cause clotting and death of the severed digit. These medicinal leeches placed on the site will latch on and suck the blood out for 40 minutes or so, acting as a temporary venous drainage system. And after they let go, the anticoagulant from their salivary glands remains effective for hours, so a bit of bleeding from the bite persists, which is a good thing. Then, after days when enough small veins have grown in the finger, the leech treatments can stop. Interestingly, the anticoagulant is called hirudin and is used in a few medicines today due to its potency. Now, if you discover a leech or two on your skin while walking in a rainforest or swimming in a pond inhabited by them, try not to panic. First, look all over your body to know just how many you have. Then, remove them by breaking their suction with the edge of a knife or credit card or a fingernail so they fall off. But don't squeeze them or burn them. Infection is rare, but monitor the wounds closely. And that is your Animals Today Minute for
5: today. You know, we like to follow the pet industry and pet-related uh companies. And uh, with this uh, pandemic that we've got going on, we wanted to bring back our good friend, Simeon Hyman, global investment strategist with ProShares. They are an investment organization, and he has been following what is happening to some of these uh, pet-related companies. And I'll tell you, I'm really interested in this because I am a new Chewy customer, and being locked down in the home, it really made me want to see what I could do online without going to stores. Welcome, Simeon.
2: Thanks for having me. Appreciate the time.
5: What are you seeing in the pandemic world?
2: Sure. You know, we put together an ETF, its ticker is P-A-W-Z, PAUSE, We we try to come up with clever ones and tell you what it is. And the way we did this is we wanted to look very holistically at the entire pet care industry, including, you mentioned Chewy, the, um, so the, both the online and brick-and-mortar retailers, um, the manufacturers of food, but also, of course, the healthcare components. So we wanted all of those to be together in one investment vehicle, and we, of course, track and the ETF tracks the performance of the space. You know, In the pandemic, we looked to history to sort of get some, some clues to what might happen. And we know that the pet care industry, as an example, grew even in the Great Recession of 2008-2009. So as we were watching the pandemic unfold, we were kind of expecting the same thing. And in a big picture, that's what happened. So if you look at the performance of the ETF, it actually performed much, much better than, say, the S&P 500. Uh, since the market peak in February 2019, the ETF is only down about 4%. The S&P is down 15%. we are sitting here getting close to the end of April. Digging in, that's where we get to some interesting stories. And I'll sort of just break it up into three buckets for you. One are the retailers, mostly the online folks that have really excelled. You mentioned Chewy, but there's also PedMed Express and Zoo Plus is an example over in Europe. Those have performed very, very well, far exceeding the broad market. The companies that are sort of generically put in what's called consumer staples, but we would recognize them in the pet space as kind of the food guys, yeah. and some of them are big businesses in conglomerates like, like Smucker and Nestle, and some of them are dedicated like Fresh Pet, they've also outperformed. The piece that's performed sort of like the regular market is the healthcare care piece. And this almost is counterintuitive because you would think the pet healthcare piece would be the big outperform. But it's exactly what you said. This pandemic is different because it's all about, for this very, br- hopefully, brief period of time, what you can do in the house. Yep. And you can order everything in. You can order the food. You can order the meds. You can order some supplies. But it's a little trickier to go to the vet. So, it, frankly... We felt really good about the level of outperformance of the pet care business overall, even with the health care piece just sort of being online with the S&P 500. So I hope that gives you a little bit of flavor for what's been going on both at a top level. Absolutely, you know, people take care of their pets no matter what but digging in a little bit to sort of what you can do at home and what you need to leave the house for.
5: Do you think you can learn anything extrapolating or predicting from what is happening now to what happens to a, a basket of stocks going forward, hopefully after a normalcy or some new normal is achieved?
2: So it's a great question. And when you look at these components of the pet care business, it gives you some sense of what might happen going forward. First, habits are hard to break. So you mentioned again having more things delivered at home for your pets than you may have before. So the penetration of some of those online folks is likely to be enhanced going forward. That healthcare piece, that's where you kind of expect, number one, a rebound when we get out of the house because people are going to have to, you know, take the missed visits they have to the pets and the diagnostics and that type of stuff will likely have a short-term rebound. But if you also look at the long-term, first big picture we know pet care pet pet ownership has grown. Two out of three families have a pet more than half children. We know the long term trend is about double the growth of GDP, but that health care piece as and by the way, that's about half of the uh, of the of the stocks in the ETF from a valuation standpoint, that's we think an even more interesting longer term bet. Because as you come out of this pandemic, if anything from a human health care perspective, the push to more government involvement in health care is certainly going to be enhanced, but likely not in pet care. As I, it's my favorite catchphrase, but the, it says, so far there's no Medicaid for dogs. Yeah. And so I think if that healthcare care piece, which is the piece that's in the pandemic just performed in line with the S&P, that's a real opportunity for long-term outperformance. When you put that together with some of the key online uh, pet care businesses that are also in the ETF, it's held up really, really well in the pandemic, but we think it certainly makes sense uh, from a long-term perspective as well.
5: So since the onset of the pandemic, have you added any companies or dropped any?
2: Uh, no, there's been no changes to the constituents of the uh, of the ETF in the pandemic period.
5: Okay. So pet people, if they want to learn more and perhaps invest, uh, where do they learn more, Simeon?
2: The ticker again is PAWZ, and you can find more information at proshares.com. We've got a couple of key pieces on the broad industry and, of course, the specific information and fact sheets with regards to the ETF itself.
5: Simeon Hyman, thank you very much for coming back, and maybe we'll catch up with you when things are a little brighter. Indeed. Stay safe. Wash hands.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals.